Praise the Lord, church. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Oh, I am nervous tonight for some reason. This is not my comfort. going to be renewing in the mind and that there's going to be consecration here tonight and why don't we just from the from the outset of this message why don't we just all lift our hands and we just declare tonight that we're going to give everything that we have to God that God that there there's nothing that we want to hold back from you tonight God that we need a transforming work of your spirit Lord in this place tonight Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And beginning in verses 7 and 8. And I also want to say we, that we only get this type of atmosphere in church because of our leadership. And I just want to honor our leadership Brother Harrelson was on the schedule to preach tonight, so I know all of us probably would have rather heard Brother Harrelson preach, including me. I would much rather listen to Brother Harrelson than myself, So, but God has a word for us tonight, and I believe that first, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, But what things were gained to me, those I count a loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And skipping ahead to verses 13 and 14, it says there, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14 says, I press towards the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. The ESV says, I press towards the mark of the upward calling of Christ. That I press towards the mark that God is calling me somewhere else beyond this world. That there is a, a higher calling that's on my life and it's not here. We're pilgrims and we're strangers in this world, but we're not going to stay here. And there is a call to go up yonder somewhere else. In the name of Jesus, why don't we pray tonight? Lord God, we pray, God, that your word, God, would go forth, God, and that there would be, God, a transforming work of your spirit, Lord, that would be in our lives, God. I pray, God, that there would be, God, renewing in our minds tonight, God, and that there would be consecration, Lord, and dedication, God, to your will, God, in our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that you would get me out of the way as soon as possible, Lord God, that you would cast me to the side, Lord God. God, that you would get me out of the way, God, that you would be glorified Lord and that your kingdom God will come and your will Lord will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the name of Jesus we pray in Jesus name in Jesus name you can be seated and so 
we're talking about a, a higher calling tonight. Like I said, the ESV says that there is an upward call, that there, were, there is a call that we have beyond this world, that there is something that's calling us to a further place and to a deeper relationship with God, that we're not just supposed to stay in this dimension. We're not called to just stay on this level where, that we're at, but God is calling us to climb the ladder into a new level and into a, into a new dimension, into a deeper relationship with God. And, and I believe that, that tonight before we leave, and I, I pray that tonight before we leave, that, that God would move us into that place and that he would, you would begin to see that God doesn't want you to stay right here on this level that you're at, but there is a higher calling that's on your life. And I know just about every time that I preach, I always preach about the call of God, and I, I believe that that's important, and I don't want it to get monotonous whenever I get up and preach about the call of God because that is the most important thing that is in our lives. Amen. So how, how many of you this past week has gotten a call from a telemarketer or, or gotten a call from, from someone who had the wrong number, and it was like, you answer the phone, and it's in your area code, so you're thinking maybe it's someone that I know and I don't have their number saved. And so you pick up your, your phone, you're like, hello? And they say, hey, is this Charlie? No, this is not Charlie. Well, who is this? It's not Charlie. Who is this? And they're, they're like, well, who is this? And it's like a circle going forth, and you're sitting here with this conversation is going nowhere. Or like one time I got a call a few years back, from from someone that was looking at an ad on Craigslist. I didn't have an ad on Craigslist, and they called me, and they said, I'm calling about this ad that, I, that you had on Craigslist. And I said, sir, I don't have an ad on Craigslist whatsoever. And he said, well, i seen it, and this is the number. No, no, sir, and I was trying to be as polite as I can be. No, sir, I don't have, I'm not selling anything. But I could, I could realize very quickly that this conversation was going nowhere because I didn't have the goods that this man was looking for. I didn't have the merchandise that this man was looking for. I didn't have what this man was wanting to buy. And when I was beginning to put this sermon together and I thought about that and I thought about when I was a teenager and I began to feel God calling me to preach and, and the first thing that I felt whenever God began to call me was I don't have what you're looking for, God. You have the wrong number, Lord. You're not looking for me. I don't have the voice. I don't have the charisma. I don't have the talent or the abilities. But you know what? It's by the grace of God that he took me to a deeper place and to a deeper level and to a deeper relationship with him. And he said, Did you, do you honestly think that your goods and your abilities, do you think that my name is dependent on what you can do? Do you think that my power is dependent on your abilities? Do you think that... What what I'm able to do is depending on what you're able to do. But he said, like, like he like he says to, to Moses, when he begins to feel, when God begins to speak to Moses, you know, and he tells him that I'm going to call you to lead the people out of, the, out, of, out of bondage, to lead my people out of bondage. You find that the first thing that Moses says, God, who am I? Who am I that you would call me? I'm here in the land of the Midianites, and, and you want to call me? I've been out of Egypt for 40 years, and you want to you want to call me to go back in to a people that I haven't seen for 40 years? Who am I that you would call me to this great test? Who am I that you would put this higher calling on my life? And God, God begins to, to speak to him some more in, in chapter 4, and he begins to show him signs, and he begins to show him wonders, and yet Moses still has this reluctancy, and he says, God, I, I have this, I, I'm not eloquent in my speech, I'm slow to speech. And, and a lot of us, 
we, we interpret that as Moses had a speech impediment, but you find in the book of Acts that, that Moses, he, he didn't have a speech impediment when he was in the palace. I heard Brother Chris Green preaching on this, and it, it really touched me, and so I'm going to repeat it tonight, and I'm not doing pulpit plagiarism, Brother Harrelson. But um, what, in case any of you haven't heard, I think the, I think the message, uh, its name is Anything for an Apostolic Anointing. Incredible message. You ought to listen to it on YouTube. He says that Moses never received a call while he was in the palace. We find in the in the book of Acts that that Stephen begins preaching about Moses, and he says that Moses was mighty indeed, and he was mighty in his words. Moses didn't have a speech impediment when he was in the palace. Moses was a learned man. Moses was a man that he was tall, dark, and handsome. He had all the goods. He had all the merchandise. But you know what? He, he spends 40 years outside fleeing Pharaoh, fleeing the Egyptians into the land of the Midianites. And God said, I had to get you out of the palace before I could ever speak something into your life. I had to get you out of your place of comfort before I could ever speak a calling into your life. I had to get you out of the place that you are. And I had to take you through a wilderness before I could ever use you. And so Moses still, he says, God, I, I'm slow to speech. God says, Moses, you're not slow to speech. You're just making excuses. You're just making excuses because you don't want to do what I've called you to do. You're just making excuses. God says, God says, that, am I not the God who, who made the deaf? And I'm not, am I not the God who, who formed the dumb? And I'm not the God who, who, uh, who, who gave you your mouth? Am I not the God who, who even taught you how to speak or even put words in your mouth? Am I not that same God? Did you think that your abilities were the, did you think that what God can do was dependent on your own abilities? And, and Moses said, God, who am I that you called me? And he was reluctant and he was making excuses. And yet I think sometimes that whenever we feel God calling us to a higher level and we say, God, I don't want to go through what I might have to go through to make it to that higher level. I don't want to go through the troubles. I don't want to go through the pains to make it through that, through that door to that higher level. And so just like Moses told or God told Moses you know what he told him go and I'm going to be with your mouth go and I'm going to give you the words that you have to say he's calling us to go out of these these doors and to go into our places where we work to go into our jobs and our schools he said he's going to give us words that we that we would say he's going to give us everything that we need to answer that higher call so even when we're weak, even when we think we have a weakness, God is the strength in the middle of our weakness. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what people may say. It doesn't matter what, what, what situations we're going through. But we have to pour ourselves into the kingdom of God so that he can be glorified. 1 Corinthians chapter 26 Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29 says, for you, see your, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, not, not many of the, the men that had high names that were called. There's not many of the, of, the, of, the, of the mighty men that were called, but verse 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. He said, I chose the lowest things of the world to, to bring to naught the things which are. He said, I've chosen the things which are despised, the things which are kicked over, the things which are stepped on the things that are all dirtied up and muddied up. I chose those things 
to confound the things which are wise, to, to, to bring to naught the things that are. And you know why he said that he chose those things? You know why he said that he chose the weak things, the base things, the things that are despised? He said that no flesh, no flesh, no flesh can glory in his presence. He said it wasn't about you to begin with. It wasn't about your abilities to begin with. It wasn't about what you thought of yourself to begin with. But God, that's why That's why Paul says in the Second Corinthians that we have this treasure that's laid up in an earthen vessel. You know what he said? Whenever, whenever there was a vessel that he would pour the oil into the vessel, and, and whenever the oil was poured out, whenever the oil was poured out of that vessel, it would be tossed away. It wasn't the vessel that was worth anything. Anything. It's not our flesh. It's not what. It's not us that's worth anything. But it's what God pours into us that has the power. It's the Spirit that is in us that has the power. It's the treasure that is in us that has the power. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so there is this higher calling that we have as apostolics today. And I believe that we live in a day and age that is the greatest time for us to be apostolics. It's the greatest time for us to have this truth. It's the greatest time for us to, for us to get a hold of what is in this word. And so if we're to do whatever it takes to answer a higher calling, there's a, like Brother Harrelson, when he was teaching this morning, he mentioned there's a call for salvation. And you don't see it preached much in churches anymore, a call to, to salvation. You find it a very familiar scripture that we all love as apostolics. And we all want to shout over Acts 2.38. And we all want to get all emotional and all buzzed up over Acts 2.38. And we want to shout and speak in tongues because that's what it says for us to do. But the first thing, whenever Peter began to preach and those men were pricked in their hearts. And they said, what do we have to do to be saved? And Peter said, the first thing you got to do is you got to come to a place of repentance. That's not a very popular message nowadays. That's not a popular message in mainstream Christianity where, where it's even the doctrine getting into churches saying that do what you want to do just as long as you feel good. Do what, do what thou wilt as long as you feel good. If it feels fine, it's okay. But Peter said if you want to be saved, first you have to turn away from your sins. First you have to walk away from the world. If you want to answer a higher call, if you want to answer an upward call, you can't have sin being present in your life that there has to be a true act of conversion that takes place. And so Peter also says that you have to be baptized in Jesus' name, that you have to be immersed with water, that you have to be buried with Christ for the remission of our sins, that when we go under that water and we come up, we're new creatures, that we're new beings, and that there is something that's different about us, that we've been buried with Christ and we come up new and whole and our sins are wiped away. And so Peter says you have to repent and you have to be baptized. But then he says you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And you find it in Acts that whenever the Spirit poured out on people, that they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we have to understand that we're, it's not just talking in tongues, but it makes itself manifest, you know, the resurrection power that, that Jesus had when he crushed the enemy, that we have to realize we have that same power that Jesus overcame the grave with, and that if we're ever going to make it, we have to be filled with that resurrection power that's going to call us to a deeper place, that's going to call us to a deeper lifestyle, and that's going to call us to a higher calling. And so just like there's a call for salvation, there is a call for us who have been saved. There is a call for us to declare the gospel. You see this familiar call begin to take place in Matthew 28 and 19 where, 
where Jesus commands the disciples, he says, go and, and make disciples of all nations. And so you see, while the, world, while the word go here in the Greek is a present participle, and, and you see that the verb phrase make disciples is the imperative phrase in that verse, but the context demands that this ministry is to extend to all nations, that is, it's to go everywhere. So the word go still holds imperative force in this scripture and so a higher calling demands that we declare the gospel everywhere that whenever we leave this place that we declare what we have to our lost loved ones that we declare what we have to our lost spouse that we declare what we have to our friends and to our co-workers and, and to our schoolmates that we can't hold it in but it has to be like a fire that has shut up in our bones that we can't contain it that we can't control it that someone has to know the truth about the gospel in Jesus name 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, If our gospel is hid, it is hid to those who are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who don't believe, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto, all, should shine unto them. And so a higher call demands that we don't hide what we have, but that we let it show, that we, that we don't hide it. The old, the old song that whenever we were, were a kid that says, Hide it under a bushel. But it says, no, I can't hide what I have. But there has to be something about it that people see what I have, that, that people, can, people can know what I have. And so when Paul is writing to the Ephesians about the armor of God, and he begins to, to mention prayer and supplication for all saints, he mentions in verse 19, he says, I want you, church in Ephesus, to pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel. You see, the gospel demands, the, the call demands that we declare this gospel boldly. You find in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, that Peter, he reaches back in the Old Testament prophecy, and he, and he quotes the book of Joel, and he says, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days that, that God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy, your young men are going to see visions, and your old men, they're going to dream dreams. And you skip to Acts 2.39 that says, for this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God should call. And me and my wife, we have, we have a child that's on the way, and whenever I started reading in Acts 2.16, it says, Your sons and your daughters should prophesy. Acts 2.39 says, For the promises to your children that we have a call. And I know I, my, my child isn't here yet, but some of you, you have children that are sitting on these pews, and, and we need men and women and parents to stand up and declare the gospel in your homes, to declare it to your children, to declare it beyond your generation. There's got to be something about it where we have to pass it down beyond us. If the Lord tarries and, and Brother Patterson and Brother Harrelson, they're, they're gone and, and, and it's up to us younger men. It's up to, it's up to, to me, to, to Chad, to Brother Nathan and Brother Justin and whoever, whoever comes along that, that this gospel still has to be declared across this pulpit. That, that one God in Jesus' name, baptism, it has to be declared across this pulpit. That holiness has to be declared across this pulpit. We can't lose those things in a generation that seeks to indoctrinate our children mind 
you see, whenever they walk out of the house and they go into the schools and, the, and some of the things that they're teaching in the schools and they, they want to push, push worldly things into their minds, but the only way we can combat that is that we get it into their minds in the house. You know what? There has to be something about it that we pass it down beyond our generation. A higher calling declares that we declare this gospel beyond us. But it doesn't stop there because there is also a call to live it. It's not enough to just declare the gospel. It's not enough to just, to just speak of the gospel. But there is a balance between profession and between practice. And so Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 says, Therefore, the, it says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He called himself the prisoner of the Lord. That means he was a slave to Christ. That he that he was a he was he was a prisoner for the sake of Christ. That he he gave everything he had for the sake of Christ. And he said that I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So what does that mean? He he begins to explain that in the next verse, and he he starts talking about some of the fruits of the spirit that need to make themselves manifest and embedded inside. And the first thing he mentions in the next verse is lowliness or humility. And you find that in classical Greek, humility was sort of a derogatory term. It suggested low-mindedness. But in the gospel, humility was used to stand against the high-mindedness of the world. And so you find in Philippians chapter five verses, or chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says in this familiar passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. It says he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, he, he humbled himself. Paul says that here that Jesus was the very essence of God, that Jesus was, in fact, God made manifest in the flesh, and that he deliberately limited his power and his knowledge when he became a man, and he subjected himself to the form of a servant. He subjected himself to a death of crucifixion. And, and you know, as God, as God, the God of the whole world, the God that made the, the stars, the God that made you and me, you know, he could, have, he could have asserted all the rights of his deity on that cross. He could have called the angels down and rescued him from the cross, but he didn't. But as a man, he forfeited his right to, to, to manifest himself visibly as God in all his glory and power. He was a human, but he was sinless. He was humiliated by himself, and he descended. He, he, he humiliated himself by descending and embodying as a man, and he emptied himself of, of every self-interest. Jesus was full of humility. He was full of humility. And a higher, a higher call says that we have to set our place in a place of humility, in a place of lowliness. And that's, that's hard because that's speaking to me. And I, I'm just speaking to myself here tonight, and you all just have a, have a front row seat. I'm just going to pretend that nobody is in the room, and I'm just preaching to myself when I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit because this is to me, not to you. And then the second thing Paul mentions is meekness. Meekness is linked with lowliness. Meekness, people, people seem to perceive meekness as a form of weakness, but it's not. Meekness isn't weakness, but meekness is, is power under control. Meekness is being gentle. Meekness is being considerate of other people. 
in the Greek language, the, the, the word for meek is used to describe a, a soothing medicine. It is used to describe a colt that had been broken. It's also used to describe a soft wind. And you find that in every case of this word meekness in the Greek, that in every case that there was great power and that there was great strength, but there was also great power and strength and it, that was under control. It was restrained. And so we're called to be lowly and to be meek. And then the third one that hits me really hard is long-suffering, patience. Ooh, that's a fun topic. Patience is a virtue of God himself. Just think how patient God is with us. How many times do we mess up? How many times during the week do we drop the ball and God just doesn't say, get out of my house, get out, I don't want you anymore. You know, sometimes whenever someone makes us mad or they mouth off to us or you're at your job and, and someone's giving you a hard time, you don't, the last thing you want is to be patient with them. But if we're to, to go to a higher place, if we're to answer a higher calling, we have to have the very characteristics of God to manifest themselves in us. And so we're called to, to be patient people, to be patient saints. You know, and that means being steadfast in the endurance of suffering. But more often in the New Testament, it is described as reluctance to fight back, reluctance to fight back in an uncomfortable situation. And you find that Paul says it here in this passage that we're going through, that patience finds itself in, in loving forbearance. To bear with another is to literally hold them up. The, the very person that, that is doing you wrong, the very person that is, that, is, that is messing with you or picking on you, Paul says that you have to love them. You have to love them, and he says that you have to hold them up. You can't let them fall. You know, if it's a saint, if it's a brother, and you don't, and you disagree, you have to hold him up because you have to both make it to heaven. We're not just called to to take to to take ourselves just to heaven, but you know what? We have to hold our brother up. We have to hold our family member up. We have to hold our friends up because we're called to take someone with us. God tells us, "I want you to be patient with those people, and I want you to reach them. I want you to hold them up because there's going to come a day whenever I'm calling you to a deeper level, and I want you to take them." with you I'm calling you to a higher place and I want you to take them with you and so Paul describes these fruits of the spirit in Ephesians 4 and 3 because they bring about the unity of the spirit and the unity of the spirit is a result of the believer walking in the spirit and so when we walk in the spirit the fruits of the spirit that are embedded on the inside begin to make themselves begin to work their way outwardly and so you, you see it in Galatians 5.25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So living in the Spirit speaks to, speaks to the reception of the Holy Ghost and the transformation that begins to take place on the inside. But walking in the Spirit refers to the outward manifestation of the Spirit's interactivity. And so that my desire here tonight is that the Spirit would do such a work inside of me that I'm transformed from the inside out, that the, that the Spirit would do such a transforming work inside of me that you know what someone can say I see the fruits of the spirit active in his life not because of who I am not because of anything that I've done not because of my own righteousness but it's because I gave myself to God that he did a transforming work on the inside of me 
I don't want to just talk about Jesus. I don't want to just talk about the things in the Word. I don't want to just speak about these things, but I want these things to be alive in me, though. I want people to see a difference in me. You know, I want to be able to walk in a room or shake hands with someone, and they be able to tell that, you know what, Jonathan has something different about him, and I want what he has. I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. I want to do whatever it takes for the sake of a higher calling. Whatever it takes. And so we just went through a few of the fruits of the Spirit. And those are, those are hard things to talk about. Those are hard things to, to, to manifest in your own life. And so when you talk about those, you realize that a higher call is not, it's not easy. A higher call isn't for the faint of heart. It's not for someone that just wants to walk this wide path of Christianity. That you, that you hear preached, that they, it, it seems like whenever, like Brother Harrelson was talking about, you, you tune in to some of, some of these preachers, and they, they talk about Christianity like this, it's this big freeway, and, and you're not going to fall off. You can drive close to the edge, but there's a bridge that's always going to catch you. The Bible says that the way is straight and narrow. You know what? The, the, the way is straight and narrow. The, the, the call of God is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the, the person that's looking for an easy way. Paul says it in our text tonight in Philippians chapter 3 and 7. He said, for what things were gained to me, those I counted as lost. There were, there were, there, there's going to be things that we have to give up. There's going to be things that we have to, to leave behind. And so what are these things that Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture? And you, you find it in the three, a few of the verses before in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 and 6. And I'm going to read it. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might all, though he said, he said, we have no confidence in the flesh, but he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. He said, you can't have confidence in the flesh because you're a Gentile, but me being a Jew, I could have confidence in the flesh. He says, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more because he, he explains why here in this in this next verse he says that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he says, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, that Paul had the law to a T. He was a Hebrew of he Hebrews. He says he was circumcised. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin. He called himself the cream of the cream whenever he called himself the Hebrew Hebrews of Hebrews. He was the cream of the crop. He was a Pharisee. He was a passionate and a zealous Jew. He could enjoy every privilege of being a Jew. He, he regarded everything that he had while he was a Jew as 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 prophet toward achieving righteousness by the law he had all these advantages he made all these gains he was a hebrew of hebrews but then there was a damascus road experience that took place and he heard the voice of god that called him he said saul saul why persecutest thou me he said it's hard to, to prick against the to kick against the pricks and, and, and Saul says who are you Lord and, and he says that I'm Jesus who thou persecuted you know what Paul realized that everything that he had apart from Christ was worthless that you know what he had all these things as a Jew he had all these advantages all these things that he gained but everything that he had apart from Jesus was worthless he was a man that once trusted in his performance he was a man that had the he had the checklist I did this I did that 
but, but, but then he, he found that he needed Jesus. He was a man that once valued his possessions, but then he saw that they were of little value. He said, but what thanks were gained to me, though I counted loss for Christ. He says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. And then he says, I have suffered the loss of everything, the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. When Paul wrote this epistle while, while being in prison, he, his hands were tied up, his feet were chained. You see three times in the first chapter of Philippians that Paul mentions the word bonds. In verses 7 and 16, he mentions being bound up, but he also mentions that the defense and the, and the confirmation of the gospel. In verse 13, he says that his bonds, they're, they're in Christ. He said, my bonds are in Christ. Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, talking about the advantages he had as a Jew, writing about these things, and yet, and yet he says, I count it all as loss. I count it all as loss. I'll give it all up. Why, Paul, would you give it all up? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, we asked Paul, why did you suffer the loss of all these things? He said, that I might win Christ. That I might win Christ. He said, I, I, I'll put all these things to the side, but there's something about it that I have to have Jesus in my life. I'll put all these things, all these things to the side, but I have to have Jesus. And so I'm, I'm going to move to, to Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and 30. It, and this is the story of the, of the rich young ruler. And we all know this story, and I'm not going to read all of it, but you find in verse 16 that this, this rich young man, he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do for the sake of this upward calling? What do I have to do for the sake of this higher calling? And in verses 17 through 19, Jesus begins to name, name off certain commandments. He says, don't murder, don't steal, don't, don't bear false witness, don't he says that you should honor your father and your mother. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And this young man says, my whole life, my, my whole life, I, I've done all these things, Lord. I've I followed the law my whole life. God, what is it that I'm lacking? He said, what is it that I'm missing, God? And Jesus tells him, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. He said, he said leave, all, leave all that you have behind for the, for the sake of something that's better. Leave, leave all your riches behind. Leave all your gain behind and come and follow me. He said, because I have something better for you. I have something better than, than all this stuff. I have something better than all these possessions. And you find that this young man, he responded negatively because he had these great possessions. He had these great things, these things that he valued so much. You see, this rich young man, you find that he, he had religion down to a T. He had the law down to a T. He followed the checklist. He said, I prayed today, check. I paid my tithes this week, check. I fasted, check. I went to church, check. You know, I, I, I've done, I did what my mom and dad said, check. I, I didn't cheat on any tests this week, check. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't go here. I didn't do that. I didn't watch anything bad. Check. I didn't do any of these things. And, and he, said, he said, Lord, what do I lack? You know what? He, he didn't want to give up what he had because he was counting on his own possessions. He, he valued his own possessions. And he, he was going off his performance. But he never truly got a hold of the heart of God, though. 
you know what, we, we talked about Acts 2.39, and, and we, we, we know that, that we, we fell in love with Acts 2.38 message. We fell in love with that, and whenever we got saved, we fell in love with that message that was preached on the day of Pentecost. But I think sometimes as apostolics, we forget about what, it, what Acts 2.39 says, and if we would fall so much in love with Acts 2.39 as what we would Acts 2.38, that there would be something about it, that we would get a hold of the heart of God, that we would get a hold of something that says, I have to grab hold of something deeper. I have to pass this down. I have to give up everything for the sake of this higher calling. And so you find in, in verse 27 that Peter, he started, he asked, he said, God, we, we've, we've forsaken everything and, and we've followed you. We've did what you told us to do. and We've given up everything and we've followed you. And he said, he said, what shall we have? In verse 28 and 29, Jesus answers, everyone who has forsaken everything for my name's sake, he says, shall inherit eternal life. That's the higher call that Paul is speaking of, that upward call that, that there, there, there is a greater place called heaven that, that, that God is calling us to. But you see, Paul said, I suffered the loss of all things. Why? So that I can have eternal life. I suffered the loss of everything so that I could, so that I could meet my Savior face to face. He said, I suffered the loss of all things. Why? That I may win Christ. Verse 9 says, that I may be found in him, not because of my own righteousness, but through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is of God by faith. Verse 10 says, that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may have a relationship with him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, verse 12 says, not as though I had already attained not that I'm already perfect, not that I've already made it. He says, either we're already perfect, but I follow after thee. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do. What was the one thing that the rich young ruler was lacking? Excuse me. The one thing, the one thing that that rich young man was lacking. He couldn't forget the things that were behind him. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I haven't made it yet. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, Sometimes we get so focused on everything else. We get so focused on everything else that we're doing that, that we forget about the one thing. If we just focus on the one thing, we focus on, on leaving everything, all, all the other things behind and, and the one thing that God has called us to do. The, the, that higher calling that God has put on our lives, that the one thing that we have to make it to heaven, that's the most important thing. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, and I'm coming to a close, and I feel like I've flown through this. I've actually had my timer going for 45 minutes. And I got 10 minutes or 11 minutes left, so maybe I can stall a little bit. I'm just kidding. But uh, as, as, as I'm coming to a close, 
you find a, a man, and this is a passage of Scripture that's kind of been, and I wasn't going to talk about this tonight, but I, I do feel it right now, that you, you find a man in Philippians chapter 2, and this is a passage of Scripture I've, I don't think, may, maybe Brother Harrelson's preached out of, if he did, I was looking at my map in my Bible. and uh, I wasn't fishing, I was looking at the, Paul's second missionary trip. But um, you find you find a man in Philippians two whose name was Epaphroditus, and and maybe I'll preach a sermon about this eventually. Maybe not. I don't know. But but he he is only mentioned two times in the Bible that I'm aware of, and and Paul calls him a brother, a companion in labor, a, a fellow soldier. He he said that Epaphroditus, you're 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 a messenger to Philippi. Yeah, he's not a man that's spoken much of in the Bible. He's not a man of a high name. Matter of fact, his name meant Aphrodite, which was a which was a Greek god who was filled with all types of immorality, and he was named after a god of immorality. But you know what? You you find that that he 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 was Epaphroditus. Aphrodite means belonging to, or Epaphroditus means belonging to Aphrodite. But you find that he was serving God, so he no longer belonged to Aphrodite. That he found himself in a place where he was serving God, so he belonged to he belonged to Jesus. Epaphroditus, a man who belonged to Jesus, he wasn't someone that was spoken of very often. But verse twenty-seven says that Epaphroditus was he was very sick, and he was sick almost to the point of death. And verse thirty says says that that he was so sick that that he was almost dying but it says in verse 30 that for the work of Christ for the work of Christ he was he was near death not regarding his own life he wasn't concerned about himself he wasn't concerned about how he felt he wasn't concerned about his present circumstance or his present situation that he was going through he was sick Yes, but he said, I got to do whatever I got to do because I got to get this word to Philippi. I got to get this word out. Philippi needs to, needs to see what Paul is writing to them because it's something that's going to change their lives. I've got to get this gospel out. And although whenever he, he uh, the Bible says that God healed Epaphroditus and whenever he delivered the message to Philippi, he was made whole. But you know what? He was a man that wasn't concerned about his own life. He wasn't worried about his name even being mentioned. He wasn't worried about what he could gain or what possessions he could have, but he was only worried about he was he was only worried about what he could do for the cause of Christ, for the sake of a higher calling. And as I'm coming to a close and and I would ask for y'all to stand and I want to read a, a passage of scripture. And like I said this week when I was praying and studying and I also listened to a sermon by Josh Heron this week and if you have Truth Radio downloaded on your phone if you have a smartphone you uh, you can find it on there or you can find it on YouTube Brother Josh Herring and the, the, the message of the sermon is is called the, uh, I believe The Secret About Strongholds very powerful message and so I listened to, I listened to that message and, and it convicted me because he started talking about he started talking about uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5, and, and what Brother Patterson was preaching this morning kind of trampled on this a little bit. And if you, uh, if you would like to turn there, you can. You don't have to. I'm going to because it's easier to follow out of, the, out of my Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. And it says there, now, Paul, I'm, I'm sorry. Verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, 
We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He said to the pulling down of strongholds. But get in verse 5, he says, casting down imaginations. You know, he said the pulling down of strongholds. It takes some work to pull down strongholds. But it says casting down imaginations, though. The, the, the imaginations that you're casting down, they're in here. They're here in your mind that you have power over that. And he says, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought, everything that's up here, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so when I listened to that message and I started praying, and something, it's like it just punched me in the face. God started speaking to me. He said, you know you know why I haven't shown you deeper things in my kingdom? You know why I haven't spoken to you like you feel like I ought to? It's because of things that's been up here. Little things, not, not, not things that, that would, we would consider abomination, not any lustful thoughts, not any, not any things that we would think of so terrible, but just little thoughts that I would let allow past, past the checkpoints of my mind and and God told me, that's the reason why I haven't been able to speak to you in the type of ways that you want to hear me. That's why it's because there's been thoughts. There's been thoughts that have literally made, made residence in your mind. And you hear, and I'm careful to say God spoke to me, but God, God spoke that to me. And you know what? It, it literally drove me to a place of repentance just because, you know what? If we're going to leave everything behind, there's voices that are in our mind. There's a battlefield that's in our mind. If we're going to answer a high call, we have to win the battlefield that's in our mind. And one of the things that, that God was speaking to me when I was preparing for this message last night, and, and, and God said, and like I said, I'm careful whenever I say God said, but God's spoken into my mind. I'm going to give, I'm going to give people a new mind tonight. That there's going to be renewal in somebody's mind. There's things that there's things that people have drug along, and there, there's situations and things that people have allowed to drag them down, and they've allowed things to get into their mind and tell them that you know what you're not able, you're not good enough. God doesn't really love you the way that you think that He loves you, and all those things are lies that that the enemy would want to speak into your mind. You know, you you find in the Bible that there was only about three or four men that Satan really really messed with so if you're if you're if satan's messing with you you must be one of the top 10 men in the bible so but you find that the the devil messed the devil messed with uh with job the devil fought over moses's body the devil the devil he he uh he he seek to to sift peter like wheat and so that tells me you know the devil can't be everywhere at one time the devil has no power over your mind but the things that you allow in your mind you have power over and so God said to me that that there's going to be renewal that is going to be in your mind but but not only is there going to be a place of renewal here tonight but there's going to be a place of consecration that there's going to be a place of dedication here tonight that that whenever God is through working in you and whenever you've left those things behind that there is something that God is calling you this before you tonight that there is something about it that we're going to lay behind every weight every besetting sin every thought every high thing there's a song that says every high thing 
must come down. Every stronghold shall be broken. broken. And it says that God is going to be victorious. That our victory is through the Lord. Well, tonight, well, I want to open these altars up. And that we would come up and pray. And we would begin to lay everything we have down before God. Oh, God, renew us here tonight, Lord. Oh, in the name of Jesus.